Do you hold the belief that the human body carries our stories, emotions, and traumas, and that it has the ability to heal itself? Are you interested in deepening your understanding of your whole self? Are you excited by the idea of engaging in a living dialogue with a sense of wonder and curiosity? Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, Science and Stories, a series of casual conversations about what it is to live in a body. Expect tons of stories and the occasional science lesson. Even science can be told as a story. I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. And I am Teresa Toman Macy. We are your hosts for Anecdotal Anatomy. Welcome back to another episode of Anecdotal Anatomy. You so came back. Yeah. <laughs> we're so glad you did. Yeah, we're all the way. We're up to Monomaya Kosha. Today we'll be talking about the mind and the emotions. And working through that, that's a part of this layer. So, Teresa, talk to us about a more structured definition of what Monomaya Kosha is. This is the third sheath. I'm going to go right to mana, right? So, the first part of the word is mana. And there's a lot of interpretations. We do a lot of research looking at different people's views and how they communicate. But I look at manas as our thought and with a link to our emotions. So this is our thought, our will, our emotional energy and how we process those thoughts. I think in Manamaya Kosha, we do have those five senses, but we also attributed the five senses to Anamaya Kosha. And I think they may reside. And of course, I'm no expert, but I do a lot of reading and research. I think they reside in Anamaya Kosha, but they're processed through Manamaya Kosha. This is where we take all of these experiences and let them run through our thoughts, run through our emotions. We decide or react to a perception that we've created. And Maybe at times they reveal some mental patterns. So anybody who really knows me knows that patterns are something that I look at a lot, right? And I started with physical Anamaya postural analysis as the patterns or the maps that I've used initially. But those maps very quickly led me to this idea that we have the same patterns of perception the same patterns in our mental body. And that sometimes that we function automatically to input and respond reflexively without stopping. And I know that Sherry, both you and I have talked about um, in this podcast, how we've learned to slow down, maybe consider our words or our patterns and then step forward not reflexively, but with intentional choice. Absolutely. You know, just before we get too far away from the connection where the senses may live in Anamaya, but are, are processed through Manamaya, one of the other things that you'd brought up when we were talking about Anamaya was the skin as being a barrier and how um, a boundary that made distinct me from you, you from me, you from the rest, like and me from the rest, that it sort of distinguishes us from others. And um, when I was on Yogapedia today, 
just kind of, you know, looking around, trying to find fresh language or ways to kind of manage the knowledge that I have acquired with maybe things, the, the blind spots that I might not be seeing. And I found this really interesting. They said that Manamaya Kosha is said, it is related to the yogic philosophy of personality and ego, that it is it creates the illusion. We know that Maya, one of the definitions of Maya is illusion or appearance, that it creates the illusion of a separate I and you. So while the skin may discern one being from another, this kosha is reminding us that it's an illusion that we're separate. And so that we can have all of these experiences happening simultaneously it's not an either or. Again, it's not a binary choice to either be separate or the same. I don't know. This, this is where conscious speech for me becomes really important because I start riffing and start going off sometimes. But this idea that we can perceive separateness, that I am a separate being from you, Teresa, and at the same time embrace this oneness that we are not separate, that you know our energies can commingle, our thoughts create patterns that are that go deep and create behaviors that you know I just find it all so interesting and this is another place my mind just kind of started to trail off but I, I found it interesting the I and you and this idea of of us I'm not sure if we spoke about this previously on one of our podcasts or if it was in one of our planning sessions where we talked about the idea of that separation of me and you, taking our thoughts and these koshas and our mission from just me, the personal, and really talking more about the collective. And I think that's where that separation, that there isn't you and me. Yes, we have boundaries. This is me, this is you. But that there's a collective unity. And as we all dive deeper into peeling the layers of these onions, of understanding our whole totality of self, the wholeness of who we are through the physical and the energetic, the mind and the thoughts, our intuition and our bliss. It's a journey. And as part of that journey, I think you and I have both come to that place of an understanding of the collectiveness of community, of family, that we are not as separate as I discussed in Anamaya Kosha. This is me, this is my skin, this is you, that's your skin. Yes, that's how we see each other. But when you walk into a room where somebody was arguing and or a room where somebody was laughing, you can step over that threshold into that space and feel it. It's you don't hear it. You haven't seen the interaction that happened before. But when you step in, you can feel the energy and know that you're part of that collective emotion. And once we can really embody that idea that we are all one and there isn't so much separation, maybe how we act with intention rather than reaction will, will be our path, our journey to becoming collective. This idea of the individual story being part of this collective energy, this universal energy that 
you know, I used to, my, my image of all of this is it comes from the, the Rumi quote, which I also understand that Rumi has been misquoted so many times. <laughs> so this is my understanding that it is a Rumi quote, who is a Sufi poet, that he would say that we are not a drop in the ocean. We are the ocean in a drop. And that Anamaya is the container. So if we, for example, took a cup and filled it, we went to the ocean and we filled the cup with ocean water, it would still be ocean water. It's just in a cup, but it is the whole ocean in the cup. And so this idea that we contain this universal consciousness, that we are all connected through this unseen but very felt thread of, of this web that connects us all, I like to think that this container of, of my body holds this collective consciousness, this pool of consciousness to which I will return when the body decides it's done with this earthly experience. So glad that you brought up universal consciousness because it happens. Yeah, you know, universal consciousness, something we like to talk about every day. Yeah, this is, this is just casual conversation. Yeah. But I know that universal consciousness was one of those things that took me a long time to wrap my head around, right? I didn't understand the words. We have a universal consciousness. It was way beyond my woo-woo level when I first started <laughs> hearing about <laughs> consciousness. <laughs> but I'm more woo-woo now. But that idea that we are connected, this idea that what we think has a ripple effect, right? Our actions ripple way beyond us. And I've been in a few situations lately where I've been reminded of how my actions and the actions of other people around me have a ripple effect to those that are close to us. Maybe those that see an argument or see a laughing, a, a moment of laughter, or they see a little discontent or they're brought into a situation and they, uh, I began to understand in a lot more concise and clear vision that my actions and my thoughts ripple. One of your favorite songs, uh, <laughs> Sherry uh, from the Grateful Dead, Ripple, right? That idea when you talked about the ocean, the drop in the water and how it ripples, to apply that same visual, that same principle to our thoughts and our actions. That's how I interpret now this universal consciousness, that this energetic flow of how we show up in the world touches people far beyond how we think it might. For instance, I've taught people massage therapy. And I asked my teacher once why he stopped being a practitioner and started to teach rather than staying a massage therapist. And he said, my hands can only touch so many people, but if I teach others to touch, it's exponential. What I know and what I've done is exponential. And I think that's the universal consciousness is passing that, that wisdom from one to another. It's lighting um, the candle with your wick, you know, cause that just creates more light. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't put your light out. It just adds more light. One of the things that I came across in the study of this Manamaya Kosha uh, is very culturally centric. This idea that, you know, in the West, we are, our minds are 
something we really need, we need to learn to work with in a productive way, that they were saying that uh, the way to kind of manage or work with Manamaya Kosha is to get beyond Anamaya and Pranamaya, get beyond the body and the energy layers. And they suggest that the practice for that, that action is yoga nidra, which is yogic sleep. And it's a very specific meditation that you know rests the body, but it takes you through the koshas. It takes you through the layers in a way that is not didactic. It's not you know trying to teach the koshas or have a casual conversation about the koshas, but it's giving you an embodied experience of letting yourself move through your body, your energy, your mind, your wisdom, your intuition, all of that while never leaving a sense, never abandoning one kosha for another. It's just this integration of these koshas in an experience. And we do have the intention of, uh, you know, and we're, I'm going to say it, we're going to provide a yoga nidra at some point. We're not exactly sure how it will get to you, but um, that's in the works. Just because we're, we're, this is our story arc for this, this season, the, the koshas. And so, you know, today... As we are moving through Manamaya, the mind, the mental sheet, the emotional and memories are also a part of this, which made me wonder if dreams are also a part of Manamaya Kosha on the subconscious level. Um, I didn't see anything about that, but memories, you know, both of my parents are gone and twice I've had them, you know, they say when people are gone and they come into your dreams, it's a visit, it's a visitation. They were coming to say hello. And I don't typically remember any of my dreams, but I can tell you both experiences with both parents when they came to visit, I can still remember. That reminds me when you talked about whether they show up in the dreams or not, um, if that's part, part of Manamaya Kosha. I like you, I rarely remember my dreams, but I do have a story about a dream that I did remember. So I was driving home late one night. I used to work. 12 hour days and I had a very long commute. And so um, this one night I was just tired. I should not have been on the road. I was too tired to drive. And I was driving down Route 78 and there's a lot of hills and there wasn't a lot of uh, cars on the road. It was mostly trucks at that time of night. And all I could remember was, oh my gosh, I'm so tired. I just wanna close my eyes for just a second. I told my brothers that and they're like, don't ever say you want to close your eyes while you're driving. But my thought was, I'm so tired uh, and I'm driving. And all of a sudden I hear my father's voice, like clear as anything. And it's a, and he says, and I hear him calling my name, Teresa. And I lift my head while I'm driving. And I was like, yeah, dad. And I, I, I verbally answered him. I'm sure that I dozed off while I was driving and that he woke me up in a dream state. Maybe that is the visitation. I don't know if that's if we get visited or not, but I like that story. So I'm going to hold on to that one. But what happened next was there were angels that came by. And so the next part of this story was a truck passed me came in front of me and started tapping on his brakes. And the truck that came up behind me started flashing his lights. And I only had about 10 more miles before I was off the highway. But for those 10 miles, 
those two truck drivers who I never know, never and spoke to only briefly at the end of this journey, escorted me off the highway. And they would take time to flash the lights in the background, step on the brakes in the front. They had this little routine worked out that kept me focused. And when I got to the toll booth to pay, they both came up on either sides and I rolled down my window and I was like, thank you for being my angel. Thank you for taking care of me and guiding me. So are we visited? I'm not sure. But these two humans that I had never met saw what was going on and um, they stepped in and took care of me. So maybe I slept and my dad woke me up in those dreams, Manamaya Kosha. I don't know. I'm having so much going on in my head right now, like that there were two truck drivers, two sets, like angel wings. When you mentioned angels, I just imagine these 18 wheelers as wings. Oh, so, but you know what, talking about ripples, I mean, if they had not been there or had it been just one, you know, anything that could have happened as a result of that fatigue could have set off another ripple effect that, you know, was not so... Yeah. So we talked about earlier before we started recording that Manamaya Kosha, like all the Koshas, they're not judgmental. They're not saying that, you know, certain words or emotions are good or bad. Again, this binary choice, which the binary. But but what it's saying is it's just giving you a lens. It's giving us a, a tool to observe the words. I, I love the words that feel good to say. And sometimes like motherfucker for a long time just felt so good to say. And sometimes it still does. I told my sister that this treatment that I've talked about previously that I have to do for my face, right? To put on the, on the, um, the cream. And I shared in uh, Anamaya Kosha, I think that it, it's called F-U-Dex, right? So I told my sister, yes, I spoke with my doctors and they asked me to do this for another seven days. And she said, well, I think you should change what you're saying. And I said, what do you mean? She said, you should call that medicine mother F U Dex. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh my gosh. So sometimes it's the only thing there is to say. Yes. And the words come from our thoughts. You know, it's again, it's one of those webs that we could continue to, you know, get stuck in if we wanted to. Um, yeah. Maybe we should move on to a practice. Is there anything or, that we that we? Well, I, I had a couple of stories I wanted to tell oh, that were that were really more what I was thinking of for Manamaya Kosha. And I wanted to, in the spirit of, you know, not good or bad, we're not judging the experience, to to harness some of pranamaya kosha, some of this energy of our own experience and how that also affects manamaya, the thought. But we were having an election, a local election, and one of the candidates I had had uh, a personal experience with that was not positive. And this person's behavior toward me and many people like me (laughs) was really violent and, and inappropriate and harmful, I think, in the bigger conversation where we're trying to work for more unity, there was nothing that was going to happen there. And I found myself tapping into a bit of rage, you know, this feeling that the emotional connection to the experience I had with this person. So every time I would see his signs on people's lawns, I would flip the bird and just say, fuck you. 
Like that was it. And, and, and there were a lot of the signs and I was constantly flipping the bird, flipping the bird. That was the way that I was managing by not just completely losing it. And then one day I decided that instead of flipping the bird, I was going to blow kisses. I was going to change my mindset around the way I interacted with this person. Again, all the coaches are coming into play, but the, the mental piece, the emotional piece that, that I made me feel like I had to be violent in my interactions with his signs. Like his signs aren't, <laughs> aren't going to understand what I'm doing or saying, but it was for me. So anyway, so I turned from flipping the bird to blowing kisses. And over time, now let me be very clear, this did not happen immediately. In fact, it was a fake it till you make it kind of scenario that I would, I just kept in the beginning, it was sarcastic. I would go, Mwah! and just like with a big exaggerated gesture and blow these kisses. And after a while, it became softer and more in line with the way I wanted to direct my thinking the way I wanted to direct my mindset. So in, in meditation, you know, I work to work with my thoughts, not to eradicate them, but to work with them, but not let them be the driver. So that was one experience of transformation that came from simply changing my mindset, which changed my behavior, which then changed the outcome of my experience. And I no longer feel heat or anger or any true, I mean, I, I don't like this person. And I think that there are better ways of interacting in the world, but I no longer feel triggered by him. The other story I wanted to say links more to the emotional part of Manamaya Kosha, the emotional part that is inspired by the senses. So we know what our senses are, and I'm going to talk about the sense of smell. And I've already talked about the visitations that I feel I have gotten from my parents. And every once in a while, I will get a visceral hit of Giorgio for men, which is what my father wore. This cologne that whenever I smell it, I can sense him in the room. I can feel his presence. Now, I have no reason to be spontaneously smelling Giorgio for men. <laughs> you know, it's I've had I used to save his old bottles and whatever was left every once in a while. I would choose to take the cap off and smell it to, to bring him into the room to evoke his presence. But these are times I've had four or five separate occasions where the smell of Giorgio for men has smacked me in the face and has given me whether he was actually there, like these are not conversations I'm interested in having in this kosha in this moment, but the experience that I had in my, the emotional connection to memory, the emotional connection to the re residue of my father's love. And that is, it just made me feel like Manamaya Kosha to take it from the intellectual, mental thought part to the emotional part that is filtered through the senses and know that they're all part of the same sheath, I think is a beautiful poetry. So practices? Yeah, let's go to practices because I don't really have a, a big story today. Mm -hmm. um, I do want to say one more thing that you have said in the past, that you have said that the stories that we tell ourselves, there's a story and there's the truth. Like the truth is that person cut me off in traffic. That happened. But the story piece you always say is, and I know you're always quoting me back to me, so I'm going to quote you back to you, is that everything that happens after the because is a story I'm telling myself. 
And so we don't know why that person cut us off. But I know that when I'm driving again, the rage can come. And I'm like, you motherfucker, like you, fuck you for getting on. But they're like, I'm telling all these stories about why this person is an asshole. when this person could just be my angel, like going back to your story, could be trying to get me a message or, you know, wake me up to that moment or whatever. But everything after that, because. Yeah. And that is something that I've been working with a lot, because I also realize that everything after the because is part of that mental loop, right? It is when we're observing our thoughts, when we sit down for mindful moments or meditation, when we're, when we're gonna do a practice about uh, meditation today, when we sit down, everything after the because, it, it doesn't necessarily, I don't necessarily replay, I got cut off and leave it at that, right? Or I had a disagreement with this person and leave it that way. It's and they did this, or he did this, or she did this because. And the because is like, <laughs> I'm going to show my age. It's like playing the videotape and just keep rewinding it and rewinding it and writing that story that I am creating, that myth that I'm telling myself, writing it into the fabric of form, writing it into the fabric of memorization so that if it's done too many times, it's a pattern that I've noticed in my meditation is the loop of the same story. And then that story has to be true because we've heard it so many times until I step back and remind myself, the story you're telling yourself is after the because. Therefore, it's a myth. Until I walk up to the person who cut me off or the person that I feel may have been ingenuous to me or I feel insulted by something they say or joyful, right? We can take it to the other side and say, wow, she made me so happy because. And if the because is about somebody else's intention rather than the actual event, it's not real unless you... Unless that person fills in, I did this because. And if you're like me, sometimes we don't even know the because because working through this mind and the emotions and really being able to sit with them, to understand them, to find out where their origin story is. Why do I have this emotion? Why is this thing a trigger for me? When did it start? And Maybe it, that's our work, right? That And what you say, that's our shadow. That's looking in the mirror. This thing keeps surfacing. So what message is it holding for me? And can I get real with myself? Look at that story. Process it from maybe changing the processing from a story. I'm saying origin story. So it suggests that maybe it happened in childhood. Or at some other time previous to today, <laughs> um, process it with a new vision um, and recognize that that story, even that was told that I told myself as a child, was replayed over and over again. Like watching my favorite movie a hundred times. I know it by, I can tell you words that are in it, I can quote phrases, right? And I can quote phrases from origin stories that I made up. Yes. So this is the mind, right? We're trying to tell our stories a little bit differently because our work of going through these koshas is asking us 
and me, you and me, to literally peel back the layers. Wisdom for the ages, Teresa, you're getting in, we're getting ahead of ourselves again. So much of what you talk about is, is from our wisdom. Our, and I love you use the term acquired wisdom because wisdom doesn't just drop into, into you. <laughs> it can be a download, but it comes from experience. It comes from going through it, you know, and coming out the other end and having a lesson learned. So I guess now we can go to uh, this practice that you have planned for us today. Okay, so today I want to do a practice. I know, have you guys who are listening ever read inspirational books that have practices at the end of each chapter? Now, I want to know, like on our Facebook or on our Instagram, if just let us know, do you do the practices while you're reading? And do you stop and actually do them in the spirit of the chapter that they're offered? Do you say to yourself, oh, I just want to finish reading this. I'll do the practices later. And if you say the latter, do you actually go back and do the practices? This is just a curiosity of mine because I have a tendency to just want to read the book. I'm a reader. I don't really want to stop the flow of my my thought once I've gained some momentum on something to do the practice. And often I will forget to go back and actually do them, or I'll go back and forget the feeling of that chapter. And I say all of this because I want to offer, um, it's bit of breathing and meditation, but I also don't want to leave too much dead air <laughs> on the podcast that, you know, that's just silence for too long. But what I want to offer you is something called the perfect 10. And I want to offer it because I think the word, the word perfect will land on each one of you in the way that you think about it in you, from your own experience, whatever the stories are from our lives that have created a relationship to the word perfect. Being perfect in this exercise is not the point at all. Sorry, perfectionists, it's not the point. In fact, there is no perfect. My very first yoga teacher, who I love so much, she used to say, there is no such thing as perfect, and you already are. I think about that a lot. So the perfect 10 is breathing and counting up to 10. That's simple enough. We count on the inhalation, so we breathe in one, exhale. Breathe in two, exhale, and so on, all the way up to 10. But where it becomes more of a meditation is when you become aware that your mind has wandered from the counting in the breath, go back to one. Keep going back to one. So if by you get to three and you're thinking about how long am I, you're thinking, oh, I'm doing it, I'm doing it, I'm, I'm counting and breathing, go back to one. If you get to five and you're like, oh, I'm almost done, go back to one. You get to six and you're like, oh shit, what am I going to make for dinner tonight? Back to one. And you just keep going back to one. So even if you get to three, 10 times, or you get to 10 once, and then to, you'll start again, it's not even the point. It's we're becoming more familiar with the nature of our thinking. And we're not judging. We're being kind and friendly to ourselves. We're not judging, oh shit, I didn't do it again. I thought it for again, like, fuck, why is it always four? You know, let all of that go and just go back to one. Know that that's part of the game. It's part of the process. It's part of the practice. So you take a seat. Anytime we practice, we have a nice tall seat. We take a breath, we settle. Hands can be palms face down. They can be face up, but find a comfortable seat. Either close your eyes or let your gaze drop 
to four to six feet in front of you. Get a sense of your breath. We'll take a breath in, we'll count to one. Exhale, breathe in two. Exhale, at your pace. Inhale three. Exhale, and you're on your own for a few moments. Counting on the inhalation and being mindful of the exhalation. Breathing in and breathing out. And at the bottom of your next exhalation, regardless of where you were, we may not even have practiced long enough to get to 10. That's okay. Let it go. <sighs> and then just exhale on sound if it feels good. And that's a practice. You can do that if meditation, regular meditation is challenging to find time to do or a teacher or a structure or a lineage, wherever you are in that, maybe you wake up and you do the perfect 10 and you redefine, you reconnect to the energy of what perfect is. No such thing and you already are and let that go. It's a word, but notice the thinking that comes up with even just hearing that word, kind of like Hallmark made me smell the Yankee candle. What is the sensory experience of hearing the word perfect? <laughs> you know, what does that bring up for you? And let that shit go, man. It's all a process. It's all a practice. I really enjoyed that practice. Uh, I have never done that before. So thank you for sharing it for me too. I hope everybody else enjoyed it as much as I did. I find it really interesting because when you stopped talking, I took over your voice and I spoke to myself in the same way that you were. Inhale one, exhale. So the way I kept my mind focusing, I noticed was I took over your breath and the, uh, your voice. When you became quiet, I had that mantra in my head. And then the next thought was, I wonder if that mantra is thinking. Inhale one. <laughs> I go back to one. <sighs> yeah. So far, we've journeyed through the body, our energy, and thoughts. Next week, we move into the intuition and wisdom that resides in all of us. Doing this work allows us to get to root causes of our suffering and our joy and all in between so that we may understand ourselves a bit better. Our mission is to create community and connect through our individual and collective stories. Share your stories, questions, and musings on our Facebook and Instagram under Anecdotal Anatomy. Please help us grow. Like, follow, rate, and subscribe. You can find Anecdotal Anatomy on your podcast platform of choice, including Spotify and Apple Music. Original music composed and performed by Keith Kenny. Episodes produced and edited by Judith George. A shout out to our photographer, Cindy Fatsis, whose eye and talent are also part of our story. We are your hosts for Anecdotal Anatomy. She is Sherry Sadoff-Hank. She is Teresa Tobit-Macy. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs>